Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. It's a bitterly cold, hard, frosty sort of day here in Northern England, but I'm guessing it's not as cold as where my next guest is from, because I believe he's all the way in Trondheim in Norway, and that's cold. So, um, hi, Alwyn, nice to talk to you. The same, the same. Well, the weather is not that bad, not that bad, but the zero degrees Celsius at the time. So that's, that's, a, that's a warm summer's day for you, is it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Well, I'm um, today I'm a public speaker uh, and I speak about um, a lot of things. Um, I'm a father, a father of three and um and I am. Um, uh, I love running. That's the most important part of uh, my spare time. I do running at a very low um, pace, I would say. Uh, so that's what I do uh, from day to day. And uh, and tell me, um, tell me a bit about yourself. What what is it you want to talk to us about today? Well, I have been, I have been through uh, some tough challenges uh, during my life. Um, so I have uh, the first 30 years, I would say, it was a bit challenging for me. Uh, I was uh, a criminal. I have been a drug addicted person and I've been a debt slave. Uh, so I have um, managed to get out of that. And uh, all those experience from, from the, let's say, the wrong side of life um, and the side of the life where I'm now, that makes me like, I would say, some kind of expert in experience in a way, um, because I've um, since I turned my life around, I have worked 15 years in the helping industry, uh, trying to help others from preventing getting where I've been yeah. and also uh, getting people back on track. Um, but the last couple of years, I've worked as a public speaker uh, for the most of the time. OK, so so you talked about that, that childhood of yours. Um, how did how how do how do people find themselves in the situation that you're in, you know, being a criminal, doing drugs, and and having debt? How how did you get to that situation? Well, it's it's a long journey. Uh, it's a long journey, and if if you wanted to, to um, I I asked myself the question, how, how did I get there? And I think that's for me, it's it's a 
I, I didn't have anything to blame, I would say, because I had, I had parents. Um, uh, yeah, I had parents to take care of me, and I have uh, three siblings, and uh, my my youngest um, or my my brothers that was nearest in age. He he's a policeman, you know. So oh. I become a criminal, and he became a police officer, and it's all it's only three years in between. So I have nothing to blame, but I I had some kind of vulnerability. Uh, in me uh, so I was a bit bullied at school and I didn't get much friends and I when I when I let's say I, I got some money from my grandfather from time to time and with that money I could buy myself friends so the money was the tool for me to get a good self-esteem hmm. so I was lack of self-esteem at the very very young age and the money was the problem solver and uh, yeah when i see this this retros retrospective i see that uh, money has been a part of my life all the time in good days and bad days so you talk about this vulnerability um i'm assuming you're parented exactly the same as other other members of the family is that your assumption as well so somehow there was a genetic vulnerability inside of you is that right think so i think so but it's also been affected of course of the circumstances and uh, by the friends i met uh, and and the people i met uh, and i moved away from my parents and i guess that was the um, that was the critical part because i moved to my grandfather when i was the age of 13 14 years old right. because uh, my parents were living at an island with a ferry and that's um, the, the only way to get to the to the to the city were by ferry so um i i moved to my grandfather because i loved playing football mm -hmm. and the football were not at the, at the island at all so i prayed for my with my parents cannot stay with my grandfather so i can be there uh when the football was taking place and i stayed so i stayed there for many days uh, in the week so I think that was also uh, an important lesson. M moving away from my parents, where they were, yeah, to my grandfather, he was, yeah, oh, so fun with some um, young kids in, uh, in, in the house because my, he was divorced from my grandmother and uh, he was 70 and he's, yeah, he thought that was fun. And he gave me money and were generous and but there were no limitations there, no boundaries. Yeah. So, I think the lack of boundaries were also a part of the, uh, the whole problem. So that's interesting, isn't it? Because it was very much a feature of um, US-UK life to, to take away boundaries for children, to say they were wonderful, everything was great, allow them to have free expression. But you're sort of advocating that there should be some boundaries, are you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see that now. I didn't see that at the time. I thought that was really, really good, you know. But uh, what do you mean? What do you mean by a boundary? What does that actually mean in practice? Boundaries? Hmm. Well, I, I think um, uh, when you don't get home to the parents and you can talk about what happened that day so they can uh, give you feedback and everything connected to your uh, experience from that day. And also that you can you can be at home at the, well now we have to come back home at uh, ten o'clock like we agree if not we have to talk about it that there were no boundaries um, so 
I I could do whatever I, I wanted. And um, uh, in 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 the spirit of that, I also started to steal money from my grandfather. And I remember the first time I did that because the money I receiving was getting from my grandfather. It wasn't enough in in after six months or something. And I, I remember the feeling when I was trying to get the money from his wallet at the first time. Mm. Uh, I was 14 years old and it, it was extremely exciting. And he was sitting on the living room. I can, I can, he was listening to, to television and it, uh, and on the very loud, uh, and the sound was very loud, uh, but suddenly it stopped, you know? Uh, and I was feeling that uh, uh, he was hearing me. Uh, so I had, I moved like no moving at all. But suddenly the, the sound on the television come on back on, and I just got back to the wallet and took 100 Norwegian kroner, which is 10 pounds, I guess. Uh, and it was so exciting, and I decided I wouldn't do that anymore, and I would put the money back. But I couldn't because next time I also did that, and it was extremely exciting. Uh, but today it's it's one of my um, feelings um, that I'm most not feelings, but no, uh, it's one of the actions I most uh, I feel ashamed for yes. uh, stealing money from my grandfather. But yes. it that's life. Sometimes it's it's exciting. Uh, so, so it's it's a twilight thing, you know. And yes. he didn't. He never did um, talk to me about this. If I did, if I did this to my parents, they would check catch me i i am sure and i would say well this is not allowed so i missed this correction and kids like a lack of boundaries they like the idea of, of doing that thing and and they like that huge adrenaline rush especially when you're at puberty especially boys don't they that you can see how that that's very irresistible to a young ch- a young boy because it's breaking it's you know it's testing the limits to the to the max almost and then getting away with it and then not having that sense of guilt and shame and then going back and doing it again and again and again and again because once it starts actually you can keep going can't you yeah and that's was that's the most um um well um the lesson i learned after i got back from from this life was if you break uh the boundaries first time it's so easy to do the next one yes exactly. it's so easy so because I knew that at the time uh, this wasn't allowed. I knew this was wrong. Everyone knows that inside. Yeah. Um, but if someone has stopped me at the age of 15, maybe, who knows uh, what yeah. happened? Well, the, the evidence shows that had you been stopped and, and shown the consequences, you would have been okay. But, um, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, parents do the best they can sometimes and grandparents having even a less idea of what they're doing sometimes. So how did you get into, so how did you end up being a, um, a proper criminal? And what, and what was what was your lowest point uh, of your life? What, what had happened? Well, in the beginning, I um, I was pretty, Let's. It, it feels a bit awkward to say, but I was a pretty good criminal uh, because I was criminal first because of the money, because I loved money. And um, I was, um, the first time I was involved in a real crime where, at the age of 18, 19 years old, I, I worked as a doorman, you know, people yeah. letting in into the clubs. Yeah. And um, at that, uh, in these surroundings, there were people that were a bit criminal. And I, I really enjoyed being a part of uh, the doorman. I was looking up to them. 
mm-hmm. uh, big guys, you know, and uh, but very, uh, very uh, loyal and, and friendly to me. Uh, and when you're a part of a culture, it's like you're adapting everything in that culture. So if it's common to use anabolic steroids, yeah. um, okay, you'd use that. You don't like that, but you want to be a part of the culture because yeah. 95% was very good of the yeah. culture, but 5%. Yeah. So I adapted that as well. And uh, uh, one thing led to another. And I saw that um, to get even more money, well, you could start selling drugs. So I, yeah, I can do that from time to time. Uh, and I was also a party boy <laughs> in a sense of I, lo- I love to, to dance and to be happy and to share joy. And I was a very uh, generous person as well. Um, so I gave away money and I gave away drinks and, and, and of course, uh, drugs as well. And in the end, I also made my own drugs. Um, so I, I earned a lot of money. Uh, mm. And I was drug addicted because I needed to test my own drugs. Right. Because I needed to see the quality. Mm. And um, I didn't, I couldn't stop testing it. I just, yeah. So at my lowest point, I think it was um, because when you're living this life, you are part of a very criminal surroundings and the police are getting um, find you. In, uh, and yes. I was arrested for many times. And um, from being, uh, let's say, uh, feeling on the top of the world as a criminal, uh, when you starting to take overdoses, uh, you can feel that this honeymoon days are over um so in the mid 90s i think i was in the in uk and party i was in amsterdam and party and i was in poland and everywhere uh everyone was a part of the rave culture i was feeling and so i didn't feel i didn't feel uh, like an uh, like an um like a criminal i would say I, i felt like part of a big community that was testing boundaries um but in a way after my second and third overdose uh, i saw that now my life is taking a complete different direction and um, i remember when i was sitting in in the cell in in the prison uh, in the millennium year into 2000 i was at the rock bottom um really at rock bottom because then i was I was 70 kilos at the time, and two years before, I was 120, so I lost 50 kilo, uh, which is quite a much, quite much, um, and my body was completely, uh, let's say, in not meltdown, but my mental health and my physical health was completely a mess, uh, so I just wanted to stop living at the time, uh, I have to agree. So, so before you move on, it's, this is a common thread, and it's interesting for people who are standing on the outside. This the power of community. People really uh, underestimate, don't they? You're calling them social groups, but community has this part power to heal and to be extremely positive, but it also has this power to destroy and to attract people into a certain set of lifestyle choices. And and it's interesting how you talk about that vicious cycle of the community, then the drugs, then the crime, and then the community, and then the... And and you're right, it's almost quite seductive, isn't it? That idea of being a, a community where you're all partying and having fun, but not quite noticing what it's based on, because actually you're so drawn up in the dopamine and the hedonism and the excitement of the time. 
So I think I think when you're watching youngsters, you have to look out for this vicious cycle because it's it's quite easy to stop them. It's not easy, but it's it's possible to stop the cycle by taking one of the bits of the cycle out. And sometimes that thing about removing people from their social groups and putting them somewhere else is appropriate, but only if you can create that high buzz from something else. Because of course it's the buzz that you begin to miss, isn't it? Yeah. And then of course, again, the third thing you've come back with, which is very common in these conversations, is this idea of rock bottom. And some people, when they get to rock bottom, stay at rock bottom. And some people in rock, when they get to rock bottom, have the resilience to turn around and make a decision to change. So can you tell us about how you decided to change? Well, I, I, I think it was on the prison cell. Uh, I, I felt the rock bottom were there. And I, 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 I even tried to kill myself at that time. It was a bad attempt. Uh, I didn't succeed. And it was... Uh, um, but... I, but I felt that because I, I remember sitting there on the cell and I was um, yelling to, to myself or to God or anything, I don't know, but uh, I, what have I done to deserve this? Because I was just a little kid that just wanted to fit in, mm -hmm. to be liked and to be appreciated for the person you are. And here, here I am uh, lying there like a needle hole because I've used so much needles and um, and I, I felt that I had the power, but I, I didn't have enough power to turn around. So the thing, the changing point for me where, was when I met the policeman. And um, this was just six months, I guess, 10, ten months after the prison cell. Um, and he was, he was supposed to arrest me. Uh, and my life has gone even further down now after the prison cell. Uh, and instead of arresting me at that evening, he was sitting next to me and talked to me. And instead of handcuffs and police car, he said, how are you today, Armand? You doesn't look very good. Is there anything I can do to help you? Just name it and I will try to see if I can make that happen. Right. And he held his arm around me and I think he was sitting five or ten minutes and um, and I will, I don't remember much of the words, the rest, but I remember I cried um, and he met me at a very, very vulnerable moment in time. I don't know if he will reach into me if he had been there the day before or the day after, but at this particular evening at night, he met me where I was most vulnerable. And he, was, he wasn't like naive or anything. He arrested me afterwards because I had a lot of money and guns in my, in my apartment. So he had to arrest me, but he also said, I will come and visit you the next day. And when you're slept a bit and you're a better mood, maybe. And he did, he kept his promise and he, he got back. And that was the ignition I needed. It, my life didn't change at that time either, but when I met next person in my, let's say rehab or my, my journey, um, a, pre a prison inspector then I had enough confidence in myself that I was worth, uh, worthy because the policeman he said to me in, in, the, in the sense of I see you you are worthy as a person I don't see you as a drug addict I see you as a person and that, that's really interesting isn't it I was, I was watching a, um, a thing about policing recently and they talk about this idea that policemen see people as either as criminals or potential criminals. And, and so they treat them that way and that's what they end up getting. And actually this idea of looking at people differently 
allows you to see that some people are victims and some people are helpless and some people are or not. And so it's about spotting those differences, isn't it? But I mean, to everybody else, I'm sure they're all sitting there thinking, ha ha, a father figure, because effectively mm-hmm. that's what the policeman was, wasn't it? It's the that person coming in and giving you that sort of moral, strong, um, positive male image, because actually it's quite interesting to be listening. When you're, a, I guess, when you're, a, you know, when you're doing what you're doing and you've got guns and cash and all sorts of stuff, you're pretty, you're pretty, you know, pretty, um, what's the word? pleased with yourself in a certain sort of way so for a guy to get through to you who's not another in not of that community you know that, that they must have had something special or as you say that they hit you at the right time or they saw something in you yeah and and a whole situation you know because the contrast and uh, because yeah. it was from the police and i suppose to hate the police yeah. and it's almost like north and south korea should be friends you know it it, yeah. it doesn't it's like Mac and PC should talk together. It doesn't, yes. it doesn't happen. Well, let's so, not go there. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and he, he showed an extreme courage yes. and bravery because, and I, I guess that comes from uh, human, how, how you look at humans, how you yes. look at persons, and of yes. course of integrity and experience, I guess, because it, was, it, it could be much easier for him just to arrest me Oh, we have to move on because there were three officers. There, there always had to be three officers to arrest me. And let's go on. Let's go to Burger King and, and have some cheeseburger before we go home to our parents. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or not parents, but family. Um, uh, stop talking to this guy. He is worthless. That would be much, much easier. Yeah. And instead, he took the chance. And that gave me the courage. So so when I met this prison inspector, I had, I had the perspective and self-awareness that I was worth worthy uh, so then the, then the really really good thing happens after that tell us more about that well uh, this prison inspector um, she was um, having a lot of time with me and I was in prison of course I couldn't get out of her so, and she was talking a lot <laughs> but um, and I had some kind of reputation to uh, take care of inside prison so when she was having the, the, the good conversations with me, she had to take me out of prison. And she did it, did it by walking in the streets of the little village uh, the prison was uh, in. Yeah. And that was also a big, big courage because at the time I was a, I was a pretty, pretty f- well-known criminal. And if I just ran away from her, she will, oh, oh, oh she wouldn't get easy from her um, <laughs> uh, employer. Uh, but she, at that time, she talked to me and she said, well, Armand, I see that you like to help people. I see that you are creative and maybe you should be some kind of social worker, she told me. And I was, what? You mean a social worker? Those persons that have tried to help me all my life, not in a million I would be like that. And I was a bit angry with her, I remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, we walked one minute, both and no, nothing said. And suddenly I, I stopped her and I said, well, Mette, you're right. I am going to be a social worker and I'm going to be the best social worker in, in the world. <laughs> like the criminal bravery, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, the statement. And that was the time I changed. Uh, and from there, I was transferred to a rehab uh, department in, uh, in prison, go to a rehab station outside prison, 
I took a bachelor in social um, as a social worker and start my my life after that. So it was that it was having that different vision in a way. It was actually having a, a specific vision of something, would you say? Yes, yes, I, I think I think so. And I also con- <laughs> I saw that also being a social worker was something that I could achieve because I had took some uh, university things be- before I got the criminal or, or at, at the same time as I was a criminal. So I, I did know about uh, uh, the education system. So I, I thought that could be a good thing. Um, but when I was finished as a social worker, I had to start uh, to uh, search for a job. And with my track record as a criminal, that was, that was hard. But yeah. that was... The third really good imp- uh, person in my my rehab, um, because my rehab, I, I, I see that my rehab d- didn't stop until I get this job. And that was in 2007. And I applied yeah. for the work uh, position as a debt advisor for the public uh, Norwegian public government. Right. And I had <laughs> I had 200,000 pounds in debt myself at the time. Oh, so you really and- knew about it. <laughs> I knew about this and I had a track record as so so this leader this manager that said I want to have Arman working for us yeah she was really really brave because that could I knew at the time that I wouldn't flip out but she didn't know that that was just three four years after I being a famous criminal you know so so it's it's interesting how um one or two or three specific people have made such a big impact in, our, in your life. And it's interesting to look back in our own lives and look for those people who've, um, who've helped show the way, you know. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess you're sort of the sort of person who can go to the youngsters and have some form of respect or credibility for those who are on the wrong path and actually help turn them around. So I guess that's part of what you're doing today as well as debt and advisory stuff. Yeah, that's correct. And I, I, I speak to people for in, in all ages and in all positions. I, I can speak to, to people going in, I don't know the school system in the UK, but people are when they are from the age of 12 and 13, 14, 15, 16, it's very young, but I use my story also in front of them yes. as a public speaker. But I can also speak to, uh, to manager of big companies that are trying to hire people um, uh, from from uh, uh, ex criminals, for instance, and I, yes. I try to point out to them what the benefits are if you if you hire this ex criminal, and uh, so that's maybe um, one of my biggest uh, missions. I feel at at the time now that I'm trying to see. Well, you can let's let's try to create some more Armans, if you know what I mean, yes. because you saw Arman, he got the job. Even if no one believed he will ever survive, uh, and if he will survive, he will just be uh, unemployed for the rest of his life. Um, and and but now, see, he is now having he's worked 15 years for the Norwegian public government, and uh, it's possible for everyone. And I try to show uh, business owners how they can um, be a good match for ex-criminals. And I guess one day you're going to sit down one-to-one and you're going to have the effect that that policeman had on you. You're going to have that ability to be able to um, 
um, you know, make a difference in someone's life just like that. Yeah, and so you know, the, the the person that hired me, she asked me two questions. It's a really important questions, and she asked me, "What have you learned from the time when you've been an ex-criminal?" And what have these lessons you learned? How could that help us solve our uh, society responsibility? Because that's the, the, the public government are, are doing. And, and with those two simple questions, it changed the atmosphere completely in, in the job interview situation. Because instead of me being uh, afraid and, and hide my CV, I was like, yeah, on, on, on the edge and trying to, yeah, she's trying, she will. She really asked me about what I've learned. Yeah. And then it was all up to me to talk yes. about what I've learned. Because that's the point, isn't it? It's not about what you've done. It's what, what, it, what it meant and actually how you drive it forward. And I think that's a great question. Armin, it's fantastic to talk to you today. If people want to find out more about your work, how will they find you? Well, they can, uh, they can walk to, um, they can find me on Instagram, uh, and, uh, which is my name then, Arman Vesta, hashtag, uh, no, um, um, Arman Vestaya, um, and uh, my webpage is uh, armanv.no. And just to spell that for us, that's A-R-M-O-N-V.no. Yeah, that's correct. Great. All right. Well, look, it's been a joy to talk to you today. It's a really inspirational story, and I think there's a ton of quite significant points there. And I think your your point at the end there is really important. It's not what you do, it's what you learn from it, and then the choices you make rolling forward. And um, if only that little 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 almond had known that at the age of four or five or ten or twelve, fourteen, what what a different life it could have been. It could have. And uh, some someone people ask sometimes people ask me, do you regret the life you have uh, lived? And I I, I don't regret. Uh, yeah. I, it's not time for regrets, even if I I harm people, I guess. Uh, but I do whatever I can to to use my experience in a way that help others. And uh, I think that's the best life I can have now. Brilliant. It's been a joy to spend time with you today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Russell. You take care. Take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.